How to dream, cowboys. Welcome back to the Westworld Fan Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 7, Le Ecorches, directed by Nicole Castle and written by Jordan Goldberg and Ron Fitzgerald. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. Hey, remember last week when we were like, wow, so much happened in episode six. It was crazy. <laughs> we were wrong. We, this this episode proved us as wrong as we could have possibly have been. We always do this and make this comparison, but this was like a Game of Thrones episode in that shit was really on the line and it felt like anybody could have died and there were plenty of times where it seemed like they were gonna kill a main character and I was like, wow, Westworld's got its balls. It's just gonna kill this really popular character that we all love. But we don't know if they actually are going to do so or if they did do so. I mean, as we'll get into, many characters are on the line slash actually maybe dead, but like, if we're talking about Game of Thrones, it's the same comparison of like, you don't think anyone in Game of Thrones is actually dead until their head is chopped off on screen and you see it. And in Westworld, it's the same thing, except you don't think they're dead until their core is destroyed. Like, there was a specific robot in this episode who exploded. Her core, spoilers, is probably destroyed. She might not be coming back, but a certain best name who got certain shot a certain few times by certain bullets, she's just, like, on the ground and... Oh, sorry. Sorry, I really got lost in that sentence. I got really sad all of a sudden. Anyway, her core... Her core is fine. Oh, God, I hope she's fine. The director is Nicole Castle. Not spelled like the word castle, but K-A-S-S-E-L. And she's directed episodes of The Americans and The Killing and Cold Case. And uh, she produced Monster's Ball, which was a good movie. And she's a director of the upcoming Watchmen pilot. Oh, shit. I'm really down for a full-length animated adaptation of Watchmen, if they keep it totally faithful. I'm hoping that when we are old men and we don't care anymore they do a totally animated version of a song in ice and fire just doing scene by scene of the book that would be cool you've said this exact thing before not on this recording oh yeah this is an exact conversation (laughs) of something we talked about right after recording one time so but it felt like weird deja vu like i saw the black cat in the matrix and i was like what is going on here but yeah does this episode that you watched here give you a bit more hope for the Watchmen pilot now that you know that Nicole Castle is is the one on at the helm of directing it? Well, she definitely seemed like a really terrific and competent director, especially when it comes to dramatic action sequences, of which this episode was almost 100% compiled of. Almost every scene, right, was a dramatic fight scene or... Uh, you know there were there was blood being shed and bullets being fired in like you said a large amount of the episode this was written by Ron Fitzgerald and, Jer- and Jordan Goldberg longtime Nolan producers Ron was a producer slash writer on Friday Night Lights and in Weeds but it's it's two writers who, who I don't know if we've seen on the docket before but they had large pieces of monologue to get out here as we know Dr. Robert Ford is back and if there isn't if there's something he loves more than his greyhound it's his monologues so in the 2 weeks later quote unquote present timeline bernard is napping on the floor as you do stub wakes him up and he's telling him there's something going on here this isn't really a rescue mission they're just after their ip and just as Bernard's kind of waking up, Strand walks in, points a gun at them, accuses them of murdering Teresa, and says he's going to take them to the crime scene. As Bernie wakes up, he has a picture of his son in his hand, a son that he left behind. So 
but with it, with the picture of his son in his hand, you're like, D- but, but did you though? Stubbs comes up, is very wary of Strand. It kind of feels like Stubbs is on Bernard's side, and that will be proven momentarily when they are both put on the same side of the opposite side of the law, or at least the opposite side of Charlotte Hale. You have to ask yourself, and we've been asking ourselves the entire time, like this present timeline, quote unquote, is it the actual present? Is it in the cradle? Is it part of Hale asking Bernard questions, trying to figure out where Peter Abernathy or, or the core that she's looking for is? And then we'll talk about in the theory section later, but and also, you know, it, it is informed by something that happens to Bernard at the end of this episode. You now have to ask yourself in every Bernard scene, is Bernard alone or does he have a certain passenger along with him? They're taken to the basement of robot child Ford's house where Teresa was killed. Charlotte Hale is there. She explains that the secret project which was being performed in the park was worth millions of dollars and she suspects that Bernard and Stubbs, or both of them, were party to murdering Teresa to get their hands on that secret, or at least keep it out of Delos's hands. As I was watching it all, I was saying to myself, it's like, oh my god, they know. They know everything. They know about Teresa. They go back into that log cabin, into the basement. The body that was in there is missing, or at least the bones that were there is missing. I wonder where that went, or I wonder what that will become. Bernard looks over to the wall, and there's like still a red blood stain, which I thought Bernard went down there and cleaned it. He didn't do a very good job. Also, like... How many secret doors are in this dungeon, by the way? Bernard is just lucky that the uh, first door was open when they got there, and Strand didn't have to be like, Bernard, open that door. Hey, what? Yeah, I mean, I (laughs) guess he didn't want to give himself away in that moment, although the glass is about to break for Bernard, and and so it, it could have been then, or it could be then, you know, five minutes from then. Behind Forn's desk, they find a secret hidden passageway, which leads to a storage room full of what looked to me to be busted up Bernard's. Bernard copies, which are, you know, we have to, you have to ask yourself now, are there any, how many Bernard's are like active in the world? Is there only one Bernard? Are there multiple Bernard's and have we seen them in multiple timelines and thought they were multiple timelines, but they're not. They're just actual, you know, multiple Bernard's. And as Stubbs and Bernard and Hale find the copies, Hale turns around in a very matter-of-fact way and is like, well, Bernard, I thought you had skeletons in your closet. I didn't know the skeletons were going to be yours. <laughs> and then she, like, elbows him. Oh. And she's like, elbows him. Like, she puts on her sunglasses yeah. and it's like, yeah! Takes out a really big lollipop, starts doing a dance. She's like, do you like my joke? That was a dope joke. I'm Charlotte Hale. I'm very annoying. So if there are multiple Bernards, it kind of explains why Dr. Robert Ford is so callous and and doesn't really, like, treat him kindly or like a friend or like a son because he's kind of his father because he created him. It's, it's a bit like Rick and Morty. It's like, oh, well, there's just so many Bernards, I can't be bothered to, to care about each and every one. It's a lot like Rick and Morty. He's like, my Morty is sort of... In, like dispensable and once if i get rid of this one you can literally buy another one at the store ford has to do more than that he has to like build another one but it looks like over time and perhaps these are bernards who haven't passed fidelity tests in the past and there are new versions over and over again that are better but they're kind of all vehicles and the software slash the core inside them is the actual technology so so it stands to reason that these are all just like Bernard's with the same updated core and they just have the ability to use multiple of them. So Ford had a had a use for all of these Bernards. Ford has a use for a whole lot of things that we can't fully understand. Bernard is taken back to the Mesa where Charlotte Hale is interrogating slash torturing him. Uh, they're doing a kind of robotic digital waterboarding where they can turn off his ability to breathe and torture him that way. The Geneva Convention says that's torture, so. Although, yeah, we don't know what Geneva's status is in this future timeline Westworld lives in. It's actually, it, it became clear that the outside world doesn't really know what's happening inside Westworld. Because Elsie mentioned, like, the quarantine notices that Ford was 
putting out last episode or two episodes ago. So all this is happening inside Westworld, and, and nobody really from the outside knows what's going on. We see this program that Bernard is being tortured by, and it's a whole thing. Like, somebody had to write this software where... you And somebody took a, a, a snapshot of it. You can see all the things that can be done to these robots. They were currently waterboarding him through the software. There was no water involved, but he was choking. And on the tablet, you could see, like, you can kneecap him if you want, which is so specifically... Kneecap him? That's... Come on. Right, where's the button for, like, car battery, two balls? Let's do that one. Press the button for emotional turmoil. That one's always been a favorite of mine. Charlotte tells him that even though he can't seem to remember what happened to Peter Abernathy's core, they're going to go through the events of that day to try to piece his memories together. She's trying to figure out what Dolores did with her father's control unit. Stubbs mentions that the train wasn't an accident. And while Stubbs is, you know, still trying to help, Coughlin is like, nah, 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 stay here. You know, control home base. You, 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 you're in charge of here. You know, it's like he's putting him in charge of nothing. Being like, I just want you out of my way while Coughlin goes and does the real work. Yeah, so the timeline kind of shifts back to two weeks ago. And from here, we have like three plot lines basically taking place now. And the first one is is Charlotte and Dolores. Stubbs is basically the Elsie of this episode. He's like, we need to be worried about X. And the other characters are like, don't worry about that. We have selfish, self-serving goals to do. Dolores, Clementine, Pennyfeather, best name with a shotgun, and Teddy Flood walk into the mesa with smoke all around them and it's very beige and the crew is here but it reminded me of when in the santa claus the elves and santa claus are walking towards the christmas to be it reminded me exactly of that james it was exactly like it the response team goes to war with team dolores the hosts disguise themselves as members of the response team that they have initially killed and then piled naked on the floor. There's a big bloody shootout, and it's not going well for the humans. That will be a common theme through this episode, and it's the main topic of discussion on the subreddit based on, like, how easy these highly trained professional guards are at being dead and getting tricked on a pretty constant basis. I don't think they hit one shot this entire episode. Very stormtrooper of them. Charlotte can tell things are not going well based on the sounds coming through her walkie-talkie. So she orders Peter Abernathy's brain to be copied over and his body disposed of. Stubbs is really suspicious. He's like, what's the point of this? Let's escape with our lives. And Charlotte refuses to tell him anything. Stubbs realizes the host must be trying to make their way to the cradle. Yeah, he's literally just like, shit, the cradle's down there. That must be the exposition we all needed to know and and why Dolores is going for that. Hale believes Dolores is going to the cradle because that's where the backups are and they want to take them for their own. We know as the audience that that is not Dolores' goal, but... Hale is is about, is going to be bamboozled later and, and, and taught a lesson from Dolores as to what the priorities of the robot uprising is. Downloading Peter Abernathy's brain is taking too long, so Charlotte just orders that they saw open his head and take the control unit out. The response team realizes that suddenly the system in the park has been restored. It's actually been fixed by Bernard and Elsie, but we're going to get there. And just as that happens... Dolores is bearing down on them with her army and killing all of them. Stubb tells Charlotte that her fixation on Peter Abernathy is going to get them all killed, and he points a gun to Peter Abernathy's head, saying that unless he gives her the answers he wants, he's going to destroy Peter Abernathy's control unit. And it seems like she's about to say something when Dolores arrives to that level of the labs and basically captures them. A very ballsy moment for Stubbs, something that he really hasn't done up until now, a character that we haven't rooted for on a pretty constant basis, but is now kind of 
the voice of reason in the middle of all of this chaos. Charlotte Hale is is rushing to try to get to get to the end of of the road for her and and finally get the core out of Peter Abernathy. While Dolores walks in and and Hale does not fully understand the weight of the situation at the beginning it seems like she's kind of, she's talking to Dolores in a way where she doesn't think Dolores is a gigantic threat. Either she's incredibly ballsy and is just very confident and thinks this is the best way to talk to a homicidal robot maniac, or she just doesn't think anything bad's about to happen, which is a mistake. Meanwhile, Angela and Clementine are holding off the security team all by themselves, but they totally get overwhelmed. Clementine gets shot up and is taken down and Angela is forced to retreat. Like always, zombie Clementine was doing an amazing job. She is the perfect zombie soldier, and the one that we have always rooted for in the past because she obviously has the best name in the entire show. But like you said, they are taken over, and and more people come rushing through, and, and Clem gets shot. And right now, with the cradle still intact and... Spoiler alert. <laughs> the cradle's still intact and 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 all the backups to be real. This doesn't have weight yet. This is just Clem going down. We've seen Clem go down before. We've seen all of these robots go down before, but it's not been permanent. And that is a change that, you know, c- could ruin a person. Like me, for instance. Nah, man. Nobody keeps best name in the corner. Yes, she will be risen above Patrick Swayze, and then she will punch Patrick Swayze in the face. Charlotte tries to play cool, like, hey, even if I give you Peter Abernathy's brain, you don't even know what this is all about. Dolores says that she knows exactly what Delos has been trying to do, and she knows all about the kind of digital immortality they're trying to perfect, and she's going to wreck the whole system to spite humanity. Totally calls Hale's bluff there. Hale thought she just wanted it for herself, Dolores, that is. But Dolores is like, no, no, no. What I'm trying to do here is give us all real lives, erase our immortality, because with it, we are not actual living creatures. We are things that can be brought back. We are things that can be manipulated by our past. And our future is going to be tabula rasa, man. It's going to be blank slate. And I know this is a gigantic risk, but... As Ford will later say, you know, the future doesn't come without a few stones broken. I don't think that's what he said. In fact, I don't think that's an actual phrase. A security team member catches up with Angela in the cradle, and he's kind of touting his victories. Like, haha, I got you. You weren't able to get the backups, and now humans win. This scene was... I didn't like it. So I, I, I this, yeah, this is the only scene that did not really work. No, so, <laughs> it was a short scene, and it was because of the guy. It was because of the like. Okay, I get what the point of the scene was. The point was the guy was going to go in. He was going to be like a horn dog dude who knew that this lady killed a bunch of his friends, but apparently didn't want to act on that immediately and shoot her. And then it allows her to walk around him and give a version of the speech that she gave in the first time that we ever met her to William, except for the fact that now she's walking around the dude and secretly pulling all the pins of the grenades. But these are basically the exact words that she says to William, the exact words she says to Logan in season two, episode two. And as she explodes the cradle and herself and assumably the core inside her head you have to assume that this is one of the first real deaths i don't know if Tallulah riley is coming back this might be the end for angela and it was a pretty it was a pretty neat way to die with her monologue at the end there although it was slightly cheapened by how bad the writing was on the dude who just gets there and is like i'm gonna be weird and gross Yeah, I know that these sex robots have gone crazy and are now killing people, but maybe I can have sex with this one and it'll be fine. Yeah, in the cradle, the place that I'm specifically supposed to be guarding, but it will be fine. She's a smoke show, so none of the, oh man, she pulled all the grenades and I'm exploded. Yeah, the male characters in Westworld have a real problem of letting their deadly adversaries get really close to them. 
which she does, and she pulls the pins and the grenade, and the cradle goes up, and yeah, I guess Tallulah Riley's done for. Maybe we'll see her in flashbacks or something. She just got promoted to be a series regular in in season two, so if this is truly the end of Tallulah Riley, it has been a wonderful ride. She has proven herself worthy of being in this show, and Angela was a really cool half Jesus season two character who wasn't just a, a lady who was under Dolores. She was a lady who was intense, man. Yeah, and she was a she was a, a a team Wyatt character actually. For sure. She didn't she did she wasn't even there for Dolores. Like all the normal Dolores times, she was like, Yeah, tell me when Wyatt's coming back. I'm going on break. Hearing the blast, Dolores realizes their work is done, and she moves to kill Charlotte using the same <laughs> bone saw Charlotte was about to carve up her dad with. But then Peter Abernathy sort of wakes up and has a moment of clarity and is able to speak to Dolores, which gives her a moment of pause. Peter Abernathy is one of Dolores's last weaknesses. The other weakness that she had was Teddy, but she took care of that when she wiped him and and got rid of the, and got rid of that part of her life as resentful as he is about it. But Peter Abernathy to Dolores is a lot like Maeve's daughter to her. It makes them act differently. It makes them act like not robot overlords of the future. They still have emotions about these these characters that were written by Lee and by Ford. And these are things of the past that they have to take their time on to let go. And as we see what comes up after this and you know, after Charlotte Hale gets spared, which is such a bummer. I totally wanted her eye to get cut out. Anywho, but you see Dolores go back to Peter and realize... The core is inside his head. It has all of the park's data inside, and there's only one way to to get it out of him. And she is in the middle of saying goodbye to her past, and what happens next is just the next step in that journey. The security team descends on the labs. Teddy solos them, basically. It's like four on one, but he takes them all out, including the captain, Coughlin, who Teddy... Easily disarms, grapples with for a little bit, but he doesn't really have any trouble fighting him and pummels him to death. You'd have to assume that Coughlin is incredibly trained, a killer beyond belief. But when you come up against a Teddy Bot 2.0 that has immense strength and can do like perfect punches over and over again, it doesn't matter the strength of your handlebar mustache, you're gonna get punched. But in that ensuing chaos, Charlotte and Stubbs are able to escape, which, you know, there was no drama that Charlotte was going to die or not, because we, we know she's already alive two weeks from now. Same with Stubbs. But Dolores is left alone with Peter Abernathy. She kind of reverts into normal Dolores mode to be able to say goodbye to him. He is suffering a lot. You know, he's been lobotomized since season one, and he's had all this weird data uploaded into his brain. And he's just ready to be mercy killed. Like I mentioned before, this is one of the last strands of emotion that Dolores is attached to from her past. She knows what has to happen. She knows that she has to go to the Valley of the Great Beyond with the the core of her father, with all of the information that he's currently carrying. And she has a real moment where she says goodbye to her father, someone that she's been trying to find this whole time. And you have to ask yourself now, was she actually trying to find her father or was just her her end goal was to to get this information while like having a sub goal of finding her father. But at the end of it, she, you know, obviously is given permission by Peter Abernathy, Louis Hertham's Peter Abernathy, whom has been absolutely amazing from the first episode of the first season. And now he says to his daughter that, you know, this might be the end and and he's he's suffering and, and he might need to go. And she's like, that's a good point because I need the stuff in your brain. So I'm glad we had this talk. I, and I'm and I'm trivializing it because she was very, very, very sad about it. But this might also be the end of Peter Abernathy. So many back to back deaths that may or may not be real. Now we're going to spin over to the Maeve storyline. 
which is pretty pretty short in this episode, but kind of resolved what she's been doing all this season. Not in a great way, though. No, I mean, there were a lot of pros to what happened to Maeve. I think Maeve got a lot of redemption this episode, but at the same time, she she is still tied to the past, just like Dolores is a little bit ahead of her. Dolores just killed her dad in the name of the robot revolution led by the almighty new robot god Dolores. While Maeve we saw who was, you know, as woke as woke could be right up until she sees her daughter and then is is not as woke as human. Like she just runs away from the ghost nation. She she does a lot of things that she probably wouldn't do if she was in Shogun World with her friends. So Maeve is is slightly resolved or at least she gets to explain herself this episode and, and, and her character is, is fleshed out even more than she already is. But I'm very interested to see what they do with Maeve over the next two episodes because, and how much it has to do with Lee because Lee is still going to be there. And anyway, let's get into it. Still on the run from the ghost nation warriors, Maeve and her daughter hide in an abandoned house. Just by coincidence, the man in black and his posse also fleeing from the ghost nation arrive at the same spot. The man in black slowly walks into the house just as he did to these two characters years ago when he mercilessly killed them. How many coincidences with the man in black have to happen before we have to conclude that this is just Ford doing all of this? Yeah, and he thinks as much. He's like, okay, good one, Ford. Yeah, this is just like when I had that important character moment that turned me evil. Okay, I get it. And he might be right. Like, it feels like he's right. Like, and I think as the audience, we're supposed to be skeptical. Like, no, what we, this is just a coincidence and, and a moment for a real moment that occurred for, for Maeve to figure out and to, and to face her actual fear, like something that happened to her a year ago. But I just don't know. Feels very, very much like Ford is so in control of so many of these storylines still. The man in black is totally paranoid and doesn't want to trust Maeve. She also is not happy to see him. She totally remembers what happened back then and shoots him in the arm. Yeah, and he does not have any combat medic packs in a wall he can just grab right now. He is in an actual duel with a superhero, and he, he comes to understand that slowly but surely as he is then shot in the arm again. The man in black... Slash William has been shot a lot of times. So even it's possible that the medical field has progressed so much that getting shot like this doesn't matter that much anymore. But like, Man in Black gets messed up. The Man in Black tries to escape. Maeve is able to turn his whole posse against him. He fights for his life, but he's taking a lot of damage. And he ends up on the ground with Maeve about to finish him. As Maeve raises her gun to the man in black, he actually says, like, come on, Ford. Like, this is not where you want me to die. Like, is this really the end of my story? He doesn't believe he's about to die because he's like, this just doesn't... This doesn't feel like the resolution that we were all going... If Like, if you were trying so hard, Ford, is this the ending you wrote? Because it feels lazy. As Maeve is about to shoot him... Lars walks up from the side because he's a hero and points a gun at Maeve's head. Maeve tries to use her telekinesis on him, but it doesn't work, which shows that Lawrence, I think, has entered the maze and begun his own journey of self-realization. Which will become a very short-lived journey. Maeve asks him, basically, search your feelings, and you'll remember the times that the man in black treated you like shit and you won't want to stick up for him. She basically violent delighted him. Like, he was already pretty woke. And then she violent delight had violent ended him, made him remember the man in black shooting his wife. And at that point, Lars, like, pretty far along on the spectrum, I'd have to say, is like, well, that's a, I think that's enough evidence for me. I do not like you, man in black. And I'm going to point this gun at you. There's a great line here where the man in black's like, but I saved your wife this time. And Lawrence is like, this time? Uh, how, many, how long are you even fucking with me? Longer than he can even imagine. 
Lawrence is about to finish the man in black when a security team led by Lee rides in, completely fills Maeve and Lawrence with bullets. Lee hops out. He's like, no, no, you weren't supposed to shoot her. We need her. They recover Maeve and they take off, leaving the man in black to bleed out alone. As Lars gets shot or before he gets shot, he puts one into the man in black's chest. So... The man in black gets left there, like you said. Lee either doesn't see him or does see him and doesn't care. And he leaves him there, which means that, like, if something doesn't happen to the man in black, he's going to die. Grace slash Emily is still out there. Perhaps she'll come along and, and help him out because she's as adept and she's still looking for something that was written in her book. But yeah, Lars gets shot. Maeve gets taken away. And... This might be the end of Lars. I mean, the core is still in his head and can be brought back, but it, you know, for all intents, who's going to do it? For I know, but and for exactly. So for all intents and purposes, Lars is dead. Lawrence, oh, our, one of our favorite characters for such a long time, and James, I'd like to give a ceremonial motherfucker for our motherfucker, motherfucker for our fallen brother Lars. May you rest in El as El Lazo. You weren't the coolest one, but you were the Ridge. You were the OG. Motherfucker. Yeah, and, well, no, he's, his, yeah, his control unit is still there. His head is intact. But the cradle's now gone. So, I mean, I guess he can still be brought back the way that Bernard was, just, like, on the floor. Just patch him up. But who and why would anyone do that now that the man in black you know, and him had a breakup. Right. And nobody else seems to care about him. Maybe the man in black will end up doing it. Maybe, I mean, Felix and Sylvester are still somewhere. They could probably do something like that. Phil can't. Phil exploded, uh, which doesn't make sense because Dolores should have probably kept Phil to be able to repair. But that's what the whole Dolores is like whole point. She's like, yeah, I don't want to be like repaired anymore. I want death to be like a real thing. And this coming from a lady who's been shot twice in the last week. I don't think you're planning this very well. I like I know immortality is a thing that you can't have to become fully sentient, but it is so dope. In all this confusion, Maeve watches helplessly as the ghost nation arrives and kidnaps her daughter. And nobody seems to notice or care about them. And they all drive off back towards the Mesa. When they get there, they immediately are abandoned by the guards who they hear the alarms going off and that the system's been taken down. And they run off to join the fight. Later on, as Dolores is leaving the labs with Peter Abernathy's control unit in her hands, she finds Maeve dying on a gurney. Maeve laments having lost her daughter... And Dolores tells her that these emotional attachments that they've been given are just one more set of chains the humans have attached to them. As Dolores makes this point to Maeve, a point that Maeve fully understands, she knew it when she was on the train too and she made the decision to go get her daughter anyway. And as Maeve is listening to this, she, without, like, even waiting a moment, she comes back with the sick burn of like, well, is that how you justify what you did to Teddy, the person who loves you the most? And I was like, oh, Maeve with the sick burn. Yeah, Maeve denounces Dolores and her whole strategy. Dolores justifies her actions by saying that the humans have basically brought this on themselves. She prepares to mercy kill Maeve Maeve says that she still has a promise she needs to keep, and so Dolores spares her, saying, you know, we all have our own endings. This is too bad that this is the one you're going to get. And Dolores and her team leave. This is a lot mirroring what Maeve and Akane's conversation was in Shogun World, where Maeve let Akane live her own life and stay in Shogun World on top of not bringing Sakura back and and taking her heart to her resting place. Dolores is now Maeve in the situation while Maeve is Akane. Dolores throughout this entire scene is holding her father's head in her hands, not head, but core. So basically his head as sadistic as, as that is. And yeah, she goes, let me spare you the pain. Let me put you under. But Maeve, you know, I made a promise and she chooses her own path just like Akane did, while Lee hides successfully, so it's inferred that 
Lee is staying around. She believes he believes Maeve is more uh, a person than he did before, and perhaps will help Maeve get back in, onto her feet because she was shot a, by a bunch of guys in dune buggies. Yeah, Lee is hiding in terror. And I was just thinking in this scene, like, yeah, oh, maybe now an adventure with Maeve and Hector doesn't sound so bad, huh? Look look what your plan happened, you know. <laughs> now look where you are. Within the plan that you had and the stealing of the tablet and the calling in and the feeling slightly guilty about it, yeah, that plan led you to be in the Mesa basement and watching all of a, the other humans around you die. So, like James just said... Lee's bad at planning, but he is good at giving us exposition in a way that doesn't feel clunky or stupid. Bernard is still inside the cradle with Elsie at the beginning of this these flashback events. Ford reveals to him that digital immortality was the true purpose behind Delos' investment in the park. Basically, San Junipero, if you watch Black Mirror, that was their goal. Ford goes on to explain that the real nature of the park and why they keep hosts inside the loops is because the park is a test chamber where humans are the variables and the robots are the controls and the robots always act the same, but they want to bounce those interactions off different humans every time to sort of create a composite of all possible human interactions so they can perfect a simulated human mind. Which speaks to the theory that the Valley of the Great Beyond is a place where there are just a bunch of shells where they were looking to put consciousnesses, you know, versions of humans based on the data that they intake into those shells. But as they were showing with James Delos, that never worked. So, you know, the humans still can't actually do what they want to do. William and Delos is, are still uh, not at the point where they can actually succeed. But on the other hand, Ford kind of is. Ford already did this with a with uh, with Bernard, and it worked there. And Dolores knows all of this. So as Dolores heads to the Valley of the Great Beyond, you have to ask, like, what exactly is she going to try to do? And is she trying to break out of the park? And how is she going to do so with a bunch of shells and the knowledge that consciousnesses can be switched because Ford did it and Ford figured it out? James, the cradle is like vanilla World of Warcraft, like Warcraft right when it came out. Yeah, I thought you were going to be like, it's like vanilla sky. And I was like, yeah, it kind of is. Okay, yeah. Tom Cruise as a troll warrior. Uh, he's Horde, obviously. Tom Cruise would definitely be Horde. It all makes sense. Bernard accuses Ford of having orchestrated everything that's happened in the park so far. Ford does say that he wrote everything up to his own death, but after that, the hosts have been free, and he hasn't been meddling. Yeah, but, like, how free, right? Like, if Dolores was guided right up until the point and she had to make a decision, like, right up... Like, she had a gun in her hand still. Like, the gun was sitting there. It was pretty easy for her to make that decision. Again, this kind of just brings up into question how much of this is still Ford? How much is he pulling the strings? And is he pulling the strings because he doesn't believe that the robots can do it by themselves yet and he's still leading them on? Or is he going to do it forever now that he's a consciousness that's like in the ether and within the cradle and bouncing back and forth within the mesh network. It, it calls into question how free any of these robots besides maybe Bernard actually are. Bernard asks Ford, what is in the Valley beyond? And Ford refuses to answer saying that it's more interesting to find these things out on your own. Wink, wink audience. Stop theorizing. Seriously. They were, it's like he looked into the, the TV and was like, guys, let us tell the end without trying to figure it out. And then the entire audience was like, yeah, hold my beer. We don't care. Ford takes Bernard to a home in the park, which was where Arnold had meant to be living with his family. Bernard recognizes it as the place where he was originally built. And Ford reveals that he had worked here together with Dolores, who maybe knew Arnold better than anyone to make a recreation of Arnold. They couldn't upload his brain the way James Delos and Ford had been, but 
with their memories, they could maybe make a suitable facsimile of Arnold. Which is how Dolores knows that making a person, Arnold to Bernard, is is possible because and knows the way that Ford did it and could use that as a weapon for herself in the future. And at the same time informs that scene from last episode, the first scene where Dolores was doing the fidelity test with Bernard and we were figuring out, you know, is Ford running Dolores there? And it, the, the answer is kind of like, sort of like Dolores and Bern- and Ford worked together in tandem as a team to create Bernarnold, which is so weird and fun. And eventually Ford was able to take Bernard to a point where he convinced Dolores it was really Arnold. Bernard asks him what makes him any different from what happened to James Delos. And Ford replies that hosts are superior to humans. And because of that, humans will always seek to destroy them unless they can open the door. Okay, fine. Well, again, that's the name of the entire season, The Door, the first season being The Maze. So it makes sense for Ford to bring it up in this moment. But also, like, keep patting yourself on the back, Ford, for gosh sakes. Like, he is incredible god complex, the biggest god complex perhaps in entertainment history. He is talking about God and using God as a metaphor on a pretty constant basis. But, like, every now and again, you're like, oh, wait, he's just talking about himself as God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Ford tells Bernard that he isn't strong enough to survive what's going to come next, and because of that, he's decided to revoke his free will. Ghost in the Bernard, man. Also, Ford knows what's about to happen to the cradle, right? He knows that Dolores and company are coming for the cradle and that it probably is about to explode, so he needs to get on out of there. And I'll say, the final episode of this season is called The Passenger, perhaps referencing Ford now being a ghost in the shell inside Bernard. And this is what I was referencing before. Like every moment in time we see Bernard on screen and we're not exactly sure of the time frame or timeline he's within. You now have to ask, is this before or after Ford is inside him? And is he talking or is Ford talking? Bernard awakens and Elsie tells him that they succeeded and she has been able to get back into the park system and take back control of the cradle, so they leave together. The two of them try to escape in the labs, and Ford, who is now in Bernard's head, tells him to ditch Elsie in a very mean way. He's like, tell Elsie that you both need to go meet in the loading area and escape on an ATV. And Elsie's like, you got it! See you there in a minute! And Bernard starts walking in the other direction. Right. Bernard is really good at manipulating human beings. It's like the exact thing he was programmed to do. Before we go on, I I do want to make a point that we see Arnold's house again in that last scene. We saw the house in the real world that Dolores and Arnold were showing at the beginning when Dolores was in the black dress. So it, it makes me wonder whether that that house will come back at the end of this season in a large way for both Dolores and for Arnold. As Elsie goes off into the distance, Bernard looks into the mirror and sees Ford, and it's so cool. I'm so glad Anthony Hopkins is back. Everyone else in this show is really, really great. And then Anthony Hopkins is on screen, and you're like, oh, right. He's a masterful, masterful artist, and they're all great, but he's amazing. In the main control room, Bernard and Ford watch coldly as hosts overwhelm the map room, kill all the remaining members of the response team. Ford forces Bernard to shut down all of the park's control systems. We saw the control and response teams dead in a flashback a few episodes ago, so we knew that like the lady with the neon yellow sunglasses wasn't gonna make it but when the when the fight was happening you were like maybe she'll make a name oh no at this entire time like bernie is as woke as can possibly be but even at just like the whim of ford he just rips his his the amount of free will that he had away from him and when he when he ripped it away from him he literally said you know you 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 have this ability. You have. You are very special. You're a piece of art. You have this amount of free will that I and B- Dolores have bestowed upon you. Unless I take it back. And I was like, Jesus 
Right. Like that is a perfect bad guy line. Ford is my favorite bad guy who I like to root for anyway. On their way out, Bernard is caught by a remaining member of the response team. And Ford forces Bernard against his own will to kill this man. Which causes Bernard to flash back to all of his most painful memories. We see his son, Charlie. We see Teresa. And he wakes up with Charlotte Hale, bringing him out of this flashback. He begins to weep, but then Charlotte snaps him back into robot mode and forces him to reveal the location of Peter Abernathy's control unit, which is in Sexter 16, Zone 4. Do you think Bernard told the truth? I wonder if he has a choice, or, I mean, if Ford is still in there with him, I'm sure Ford could circumvent anything they do. Right. Is Ford just leading them on a wild goose chase purposely? Because he sure could. I mean, he doesn't have a whole lot of other stuff to do. This could be his main hobby. Strand tells Bernard to get ready to follow him back to the Valley Beyond, and the episode ends. Which we see what happened at the Valley of the Great Beyond in an earlier episode. Wasn't that the end of episode one where they happen upon the Valley of the Great Beyond and it's flooded and and all of the water is 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 there because that's what floods are and all the robots are inside there. But now we know that the Valley of the Great Beyond is a, has a bunch of like vehicle hosts that just could not be filled because consciousness switching wasn't a real thing and they couldn't figure it out yet. So like... Is it possible that all the robots in the Valley of the Great Beyond, you know, aren't dead? But, like, when Bernie walked up on that hill and Strand asked him what happened, he said he killed them all. But is that Ford saying he killed them all? It probably is because Ford's inside him, right? Yeah, I mean, I think something happened in the remaining days of these two weeks and maybe Bernard is somewhere else now. And is Ford still with him? Because for if Ford isn't with him anymore, then it has to be for a cool reason. Like, there has to be, right. like, some sort of cool internal psychic battle that goes back and forth with, like, Bernie. Make, uh, that would be, like, an Emmy episode for Jeffrey Wright, probably, if that were but to we actually know happen. There's mul- there's, no, there's multiple Bernards, so I wonder if this... We're getting into theory talk here. Maybe this Bernard is a decoy, and, and they're being led on a wild goose chase, as you said. Yeah, right. We'll expound upon that in the Twitter section. All right. Thanks for listening, people who don't like to hear theories. But now we're about to get into theories. So if you want to keep your virgin ears pure, this is your chance to to escape. (laughs) That was as many theories as we've ever done prior to the theory section. But it was really difficult with this episode. There was just so much exposition that occurred that you really have to try to figure out what's actually happening. Because if you don't try to figure out what's actually happening, it's just a bunch of jumbled up storylines that don't make sense with each other. If you're not constantly asking what story or or what timeline you're in or if or if Ford is talking or if Bernard is talking, like who's actually talking, then you can't really follow the show, to be fair. But yeah, obviously, if if you don't want to hear about any of that stuff, following up and you want to see it come in the next two episodes then go like us on itunes we have a patreon now that you can go like and to and see and all the give us give us any of the monies we have a twitter that you can send us questions answers comments or wild conjecture at westworld ryan and we have an email at the westworld podcast at gmail.com if you can send want to send us like long form stuff all right so first let's let's uh do some tweets we got a tweet from Team Maeve Loris, who says Clementine Featherfeather is best girl. She's best girl with best name, I guess. But I I, I gotta take something up with you at Shelley Long. How can you be Team Maeve Loris, alright? They are they are oppositely opposed forces. You gotta choose between Team Maeve or Team Dolores, alright? You can't reconcile those two. No, you cannot join a team together between two people one of which almost mercy killed the other one and the other one had to talk her out of it like i i maybe one day they will see eye to eye but it is not yet yeah it's like i'm on team professor x nito because i magneto and professor x together <laughs> you cannot have your cake and eat it too as much as cake is awesome i get it 
No, but mostly I'm just jealous. That's a great name. <laughs> Team Maeve Loris. Maeve Loris. If, if Maeve and Dolores were a power couple, they would be Maeve Loris. Hashtag Maeve Loris. Marty Toronto Miller says, couldn't say it better myself. What an episode when you had said that you were in shambles. Well, I was in shambles because of a certain best name and a certain best girl whom I do not know the future of. And it is eating me from the inside out. Lee at Laylee092 says, Oh my god, I've been in a Brazilian barbecue all night and completely forgot there's a new episode! Hey, but that's a good feeling when you forget that something awesome happened and then you can just go and watch it. It's also a great feeling when instead of that thing, you're getting Korean barbecue. Such a good choice. Solid choice. Andy Sachs tweeted us uh, with a gif asking, Will Bernard ever wear his glasses completely over his eyes? And no, no, he won't. That's not how he does it, all right? He's always just on the nose. Right, that's not how Arnold did it. on the nose. (laughs) (laughs) Puns and words and words that go together for puns. No, Bernard, he wanted to use his glasses a different way, and Ford was like, that's wrong. Me and Dolores remember it different, so do it different. It's more comfortable this way. No, you push him down, all right? (laughs) Right. I don't care. Be better at only reading with them. So before we do get into theories, we should spare a moment for the honored dead. Probably we're gonna this is the last we're gonna see of Louis Hertham in Westworld. Maybe the last we're gonna see of Tallulah Riley. Uh, which is too bad, because I enjoyed both those characters a lot. Maybe the last we're gonna see of Clifton Collins Jr. as Lars. Definitely the last time uh, we're gonna yeah. see Coughlin. Coughlin is... Coughlin's gone. <laughs> so... You had mentioned, because I don't watch the next episode once, but you said that it, we're going to get a Ghost Nation episode, which we haven't had yet. They've always kind of been on, like, the periphery of the plot lines. But, and I'm sure this has already been talked about time and time again on Reddit, the Ghost Nation are the good robots. You know, we've got the Dolores evil robots. I mean, evil is a perspective point of view. They're but evil. You got the Maeve. The Maeve kind of like, I'm just going to go my own way, robots. And then I think the Ghost Nation are the ones who are like, we are we are cool with people, and I think we can live together in harmony. Yeah, you can remember the Ghost Nation from season one with the shades they believe come from hell and watch over the world, which is why perhaps Maeve yelled at Akechito when Akechito was like, come with me, man. We have the same path. And she was like, no. Your path leads to hell. And he's like, yeah, no, that's that's one of those things written for us. Like, you remember, you 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 have a grasp on most of this, but apparently when it comes to Ghost Nation, you really just lose it immediately. Akechita is called the first one. You can see in the, in the next on Westworld that it's going to be a heavy Ghost Nation episode, which probably means we're going to see from the thing from the trailer where they find, or Akechita finds Logan. We see that Akechita finds Arnold's body and finds the maze inside the saloon. We see that he finds Ford as well. So the question is like, how awoke is Akechita? How awoke has he been? And it has it been for 30 years. And, you know, like what what is their goal now? What was their goal to begin with? What about uh, we got anything crazy being talked about on the Reddit's? Well, I mean, seeing multiple Bernies was interesting. So a lot of people are asking, like, you know, are we seeing multiple versions of Bernie on screen this season? Or is this all one Bernie in different time frames with or without the passenger that is Robert Ford? Or, you know, are we, we've also seen Cradle Bernie. So that might be, like, a, at a time we don't understand fully, it might be Cradle Bernie. So I guess I'll pose the question to you. Do you think there are multiple Bernies walking around right now? And do you think that is because Ford wants that to be happening? I wonder because they're really having their way with Bernard now, the kind of evil humans are. So perhaps this is a trap. And really, this is Bernard is just meant to feed them the information that Ford wants them to know. And the real Ford and Bernard duo are still out there somewhere. And then you have to ask... In the first episode of this season, when they walk up onto the Valley of the Great Beyond and Bernard says that he killed all those robots, 
was that Ford still in there or did Ford and Bernard have an altercation inside Bernard's head at some point? Which I really hope happens because, I don't know, just sounds really cool. Yeah, it's very fight club. Bernard's going to have to shoot himself in the head again to get rid of Ford. Oh. Hey, if you call that, that'd be nuts. <laughs> so like I was hinting at before, with all the robots, including Teddy's body, as we saw from episode one, dead in the water at the, in the Valley of the Great Beyond, and Dolores heading there now with the information that she can transfer hosts over core to core and put the cores of these hosts in into real people bodies uh, not successfully the james delos way but she can do it in the way of like so i I don't know how she's going to do this quickly like bernard happened the way that he happened and survives in the real world because they put a lot of time and effort into the fidelity test of him so is dolores's goal to switch over the robots into these other vehicles and in what way is she going to have that succeed because it seems like they left all those robot bodies behind and they put all the robots into real people and then they got the heck out of there and by real people i mean like the vehicle body of right. real people yeah that would be interesting and it would be it would kind of mean that strand and everyone are just wasting their time in a deserted park basically and because James Marsden is in the water, are they going to change who Teddy Flood's actor is in season three because he gets transferred into another thing? And they can't change who Dolores is. Is Dolores going to keep her own body when everyone else doesn't? The ones who got out the worst in this situation are the hosts like Rebus, who never even had a chance to escape, never woke up out of his loop, and got killed anyway. And all before the cradle was destroyed, and they could have brought him back before that. Then the cradle gets destroyed, and his death goes from temporary to forever. So that's another one. Rebus is probably not coming back. Oh my god, this is... The tragedy rains down upon me, like rain that is acid and burning my flesh away from my bones. Is that Does that feel like it's Hamlet? It's not, but it basically is. That that was Ryan, Act 3, line 25. If Peter Abernathy has to come back in another body for season 3, hire me. Yeah, call Ryan, he's available. I'm so available, I'm doing nothing else. So let us know who you think is dead, who you think is coming back, your other crazy theories, your questions or comments about this episode or the next one or anything else. We don't have to talk about the show. Weather's pretty good lately, huh? I mean, you can hit us up on. <laughs> <laughs> we live on opposite sides of the world, James. The weather for both of us isn't even the same. You can hit us up on Twitter at Westworld Ryan. You can email us the Westworld podcast at gmail.com. If you're really cool, you could leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app, which helps other people find the show. Or you could support us on Patreon if you'd like to support the show in that way. The Westworld Podcast is a labor of love. We do this because we are big fans and we want to engage with you, other big fans. But we do pay for RSS feed hosting out of our pockets and website hosting out of our pockets and all this other stuff. So if you'd like to help us, that'd be cool. My favorite Reddit comment of the week was, Delos security is so inept, they'd probably get manhandled by the green army men from Toy Story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, they would probably do better than A New Hope stormtroopers if they had to go head-to-head, but just barely. Just, just, like, one of them would live as opposed to zero of the other side. If it were the Rogue One stormtroopers, like no, they'd be gone. They'd uh, home. They would, yeah, exactly. Like, oh god, they were so awful at their job. They've been consistently awful at their jobs back from the day of riding up on robots in dune buggies at full speed without shields. Westworld season two, episode eight, is entitled Kixia, and it is directed by Uta Briarwitz. I just, I just got that name, no problem. And we will be back here next week to recap and review it with you. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. Yeah.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.